Thank you, Pat, for praying for us. And thank you, Mission View Church, for partnering with us in prayer as we go to Palmer, Alaska this week. We leave on Friday morning. Uh, we're excited to just see how God works uh, through us and in us and, and how we just come back changed and just grown closer to him. So be praying for all of our students uh, who are about to go on this mission trip this week. Um, but it is a blessing to be with you all this morning as we can open up our Bibles again together. Um, so we've been in the, in the book of Mark in a sermon series for several months at this point. We've been studying different passages through Mark, just going through the, through the book of Mark. Um, but we're actually going to pause on that for a while. We're going to pause from the book of Mark for the summer, and we'll, we'll revisit it in the fall and pick it up where we left off. But today, we're actually going to start, we're going to kick off a three-week sermon series on the character of Saul. So we're going to be looking at Saul from the Old Testament, King Saul, Saul from 1 Samuel. That's what we're going to be looking at the, the next three weeks when we do this. So this sermon series is called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And really, that is so fitting for Saul. Saul is the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? He starts, out, he starts out pretty good, like, and then kind of grows a little bit and gets really good. And then he gets bad and terrible, just absolutely ugly. And we're going to see that progression in his life as we, as we study through 1 Samuel, looking at who he was and how, how he got to be a great king in the beginning, doing some really good things, and then what led to him kind of falling and, and doing these things that are just so terrible. And I think that as we, we look at good Saul today, what we're going to see is that, that while when we think of Saul, we think of a bad king, and that's very true. There's actually quite a bit of good that we can learn from him. There's actually quite a few things that Saul did in the beginning of his, of his life as king that we can implement. We can look at him and be like, okay, he did this. I want to be doing that in my walk as well. However, he's not a very good king for very long. And actually, I think overall, Saul's life can be summed up in this classic nursery rhyme, rhyme that goes something like this when we put King Saul's name in it. King Saul sat on a wall. King Saul had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Saul together again. King Saul is Humpty Dumpty, minus the funny name. And really what we see today is him climbing that wall, him progressing to the high point in his life before he falls off of it and is a terrible king overall. So we're going to look at his rise to power, but even as he is a good king in the, in the sections of 1 Samuel we will be looking at today, we are going to see that there were always moments, parts of his life, things that he did that kind of foreshadowed his fall. Things that were like, okay, yes, you're acting like a good king, but you also have all this baggage, right? Because he's a sinful human like all of us. And we see that his sinful humanity is always present, even in the best parts of his life. But what we can learn from Saul, from him being good Saul, is that lasting character comes from a from a relationship with God, right? When Saul is at his best, he has this thriving relationship with God. As long as he, he's pursuing God and maintaining this and growing and, and seeking to honor God with his life, we see Saul do some pretty awesome things because he's focused on God. He's not focused on Saul. The moment that switches is when he falls off that wall. So if we want to be godly men and women who are known for good character, if we want our hearts, desires, and longings to be for God, not for ourselves, and, and, and for God, and to follow him deeper, if we want our lives to have more meaning and purpose, 
All of that starts with a relationship with God. All of it starts with that investment in your walk with the Lord. Because that is the most important thing that we can ever invest in. And not just this relationship that we have, kind of like a friend that you see for an hour on Sunday morning, but a relationship with God that progresses deeper every single day. That where it is today is not where it's going to be tomorrow or next month or next year. But we can progressively keep growing and go deeper in our walk with the Lord. And we're not satisfied with where we are right now because we know there's always more to learn about God. There's always more that we can do to live for him better in our lives and to share our faith with others and be a light in this world that needs Jesus. It's that desire to grow more every single day. And we can learn from Saul's story on how he did that a little bit for the couple glimmers of hope that we get in his life where he is a pretty good king. So a little bit of background on King Saul. Saul is the first king in the nation of Israel, right? So he's going to be the first king, but he comes into this picture because the nation of Israel goes to Samuel, who's the prophet. He's kind of like the the godly guy in in the nation at this time. The people go to Samuel and they say, Samuel, give us a king. We want a king who will lead us into battle like all the other nations. So Samuel goes to God and God tells him what to do, and basically this is a terrible idea. It comes from a sinful heart, right? And it's going to come with some pretty bad consequences, right? If you want a a, a human king rather than God as your leader, your king is going to make you pay some pretty high taxes. He's going to make your sons go fight in the wars, right? There's, There's going to be all these negative consequences. So Samuel comes back to him and says, guys, you don't want to do this. This is a terrible idea. Why do you want a king? And they're like, but we want a king, And God says, give them a king. So that's pretty much the starting point for King Saul. He's going to be that first king that enters into that world where where the nation of Israel is already sinning because they basically thought that God was not enough for them. God was not enough for them. Before we dive into our text today in 1 Samuel chapter 8, let's just pray. God, thank you so much for your love that you give to each and every one of us. Thank you for your word that we, can, that we can read and seek to understand and implement in our lives and apply it and just grow closer to you. I pray that as we look at Saul living a good life this morning, that you would help us to just take away some of these things that he does, some of these things that he does that are good that we might want to do in our lives to just grow closer to you to change our perspectives to where we just absolutely fall in love with who you are and we just can't keep it in. We just want everyone to know why we have this joy and this hope. I pray that you would just show us that in this text this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It says this in 1 Samuel 8, 19 through 22. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. Kind of like we talked about. That, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all these words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. All right, we're kind of using this first point this morning to kind of set up the whole series of the good, the bad, and the ugly. So this is more focused on Israel than on Saul. But this is where Saul enters. 
So it's really important for us to see. And what we see in these verses is that even the best people make a terrible God. Even the best people make a terrible God. In these verses in in chapter 8, there are two fatal flaws that the nation of Israel does in these verses. The first is that they they want to have a king like all of the other nations. Right? They want a king just so they can be like everybody else around them who doesn't worship God. But keeping up with the Joneses makes you tired, broke, bitter, and it leads you into the worship of possessions. Right? It, it's a, it breeds this heart of discontentment. And basically, Samuel's like, Israel, bad idea. Right? But, but Israel just looked at all those other nations that they fight, and they, they see that, that as they're taking their sword and going into battle, that there's this king leading that other nation, and they look so powerful because they have this, this leader. And they want that. And they want that so much. So they want a leader that they can see rather than God being the leader that they've always had. That's their first fatal flaw. But their second one here in their, their fatal flaw in their faith is that they ask for a king who will judge them and go out before them and will fight their battles. Right? They ask for a king to fight their battles. And that sounds like a pretty good war cry. But the thing is that this, is what, this was what God was supposed to be doing. The phrase that's used here is, is remarkably similar to the phrase in Exodus 14, 14, where Moses is leading the Israelites out of Egypt and they, they cross through the Red Sea. And as they're crossing through the Red Sea in Exodus 14, 14, God tells them that they only have to be silent and that the Lord will fight their battles. You see, God was supposed to be the one to fight their battles, but here they're saying, we want a king to do that. We want a person we can see to do that. We want a leader that we can look at and it will look so powerful. Missing that they've have, they have God who's more powerful than everyone already there. Already with them who has been fighting their battles. You see, even the best people make a terrible God. Saul is not in this picture just yet, but he's set up for failure. Before we even take a look at Saul's character... He's, they want him to replace God, right? There's no way he can actually do this well because these are God-sized shoes that they're trying to make a man fill. What a bad idea. When we elevate any person to an unhealthy level, we are set up for failure. For Israel, it was a king. But if we try to elevate our spouse and put all of our hope in our spouse, our marriage is going to get rocky, If we put all of our hope in our career, we're going to be left disappointed and it's going to get rough and make other parts of our lives worse. If we put all of our hope in ourselves and think that we can just pull ourselves up from our own bootstraps, we're going to get discouraged, disappointed, lonely. We're not going to gain the peace that we're we're searching for. We're not going to, whatever it is that we're chasing, we're not actually going to have. You see, Israel had unhealthy expectations, and sometimes we do too. And if our expectations are unhealthy and we try to make a person or or things fill this void that only God can fill in our lives, we are set up for failure. You see, they wanted a human to do what only God can do. And it's crazy, but God is actually the one who chose Saul to be king. 
We'll see that, but, but God is the one who chooses Saul and says that is going to be your next king. But we're going to see that Saul is actually exactly what we would have chosen. Saul is exactly the kind of guy that Israel would have picked to be their own king. Isn't it crazy how fast our hearts can turn, into, can turn to idolatry? Right? They're kind of like idol factories. We walk through Target and we see all these things that we want and we're just like, man, I got to grab this, got to grab this. We go through a grocery store like Aldi and you walk out with all these cookies that were not on your grocery list. Maybe that's just me. But we see these things and we're just like, wow, they look so good. Or maybe it's a person that we make an idol. We put all of our hope in. We think that, wow, they will never let us down. Forgetting that God is the only one who will never let us down. When our love for a person is higher than our love for God, that is a problem. And it's a problem because it's the sin of idolatry. You see, one of the problems with idolatry is that no thing or person can deliver what God can deliver. Right? No one else can do what God can do. And if we try to make them do that, it's, they're set up for failure. Because even the best people make a terrible God. Because God is God and we are not. So basically, this is what Saul is walking into. Good luck, Saul. Good luck. Good luck being the leader that they want. Good luck being the leader that is actually going to make this make the difference for the nation of Israel and be everything that they want. But he did look good. He, he, fit, he fit the bill as far as appearances. The Bible describes him in the beginning of chapter 9 in 1 Samuel as coming from a wealthy family. So he's got the money. He's young. He's handsome. And, and it even goes so far as to say that he's the most handsome person in all of Israel. Right? So he's definitely, he looks like this leader. And he's tall. He has it all together. If anyone's going to be a good leader, it's going to be that guy. But he wasn't God. So it didn't matter how he looked or what he was. He wasn't God. Appearances breed assumptions, not reality. When I was a kid, I did not like reading. And I do now, but I did not then. And having good parents, like any good parents... They said, you have to read anyway, right? You have to develop the skill of reading. You don't like to read, that's okay. Here's a book, you're going to read a little bit. You're going to develop the skill of reading. Uh, so it was always a struggle for them to get me to read. And I remember one day we were walking through this bookstore and I saw this book that I really wanted. So I was like, mom, can I get this book? And she was just thrilled that I wanted a book, right? Because you don't like to read. Sure, of course, whatever that book is, let's get it right now before you change your mind and you're going to read it. So we got this book, and it was like 400 pages long. Probably not a good idea, but I wanted it because it had this shiny cover. And I was like 10, by the way. It had this shiny cover. It was this jungle background, all this beautiful greenery and this plane on the front, and it looked so cool. So I opened it up when I got it and started reading maybe three pages, five pages. Right? The outside of it looked really great, but the inside didn't match up, or at least not for someone who didn't like to read too much. Same was true with Saul. His outside was perfect. His inside was not. But either way, it didn't really matter. I mean, it does matter. But even if he was a stellar guy, he would fail to live up to the expectations that they put on this king. Because God was supposed to be their ruler, and God is supposed to be our ruler too. And if he's not, there are going to be issues. Really, even the best people have struggles in life. 
All of us can probably think of somebody in, in our church that you look up to and think, wow, they, they are a godly person. I want to be like them because I want to be like Christ. Right? And that, those are good things, right? I want, to, I want to model my life after some of the things that they do because they're growing in their faith and I want to do that too. Maybe it's, maybe it's an elder. Maybe it's someone you're doing journey with, someone that, that is discipling you. Maybe it's just someone in the church that, that you really respect and you look up to. But even those people have struggles. Even those people have things that they struggle with every day, right? It's not a question of if we have a sin struggle. It's the question of what sin struggle is it and what are we doing to fight it? With Saul, it was, just, it was just, the same was true. He had many sin struggles. He's actually a pretty ignorant guy in the beginning. Saul doesn't start up really high doing awesome. He actually starts kind of like here and then he kind of grows. And he grows because the first time we see Saul mentioned in 1 Samuel chapter 9, he has no idea who Samuel is. He has no idea who this prophet, the, the biggest prophet in all of Israel, who everybody knows, he doesn't even know his name. Who's Samuel? So he's clearly not somebody who's walking with the Lord. He's not somebody who, who has it all together and is very religious. But he grows a little bit more. He learns who Samuel is. He does a little bit more to learn and grow in his faith. But he also struggles with confidence at times. Whenever they announce him to be king in Israel, he's hiding behind luggage. The guy is, is, does not have it all together. But what we see is that he, he's growing. He's taking steps in his faith to start here and to grow a little bit more in his faith. And that's the same with us too, right? That's, that's what, where we are for our entire lives to just grow a little bit closer to the Lord. He starts out lacking, but he grows. I think, I think a lot of us can remember back to maybe when we graduated high school or graduated college, and we're so excited to move into a dorm room or our first apartment, whatever it is. So you pack up all of your stuff in a small minivan because you don't have a whole lot yet. And then, and then you drive it to wherever you're going, and you move it into the small dorm room or your one bedroom, one bath apartment and you're eating your ramen noodles, and on, you're sitting on your small couch, right? And then it's so easy in those moments to look back at mom and dad's house and be like, wow, they had so much more. I want that now. Sometimes that, maybe that be, that's how we feel, but I think we do this in our spiritual lives too. We look at where we want to be, and we're just like, man, I want to get there right now. But we forget that it takes those, the time and the effort and the discipline of seeking and spending time with the Lord. We are called to begin wherever we are, right? Saul did not begin very high. He looked good, but he knew nothing. But then he grew. He's like, all right, I want to learn more about God. I want to live for him a little bit more. We are called to begin wherever we are in that process of growing and learning and trusting in the Lord. Where in your life are you trusting in someone or something where you should be trusting in God? Right? The path to character that leads to, to deep intimacy with God starts with letting God be God in our lives and removing the idols from our hearts so that he, he can be God. He is the one leading us. When we put all of our faith in a person or in something else, we are going to be quickly reminded that even the best people make a terrible God. But as we see Saul enter into really being this king and, and taking, taking the, the reins of being a good king, we see that in chapter 11, um, starting in verse 1. 
But what we see in this, this next text is that God empowers us for the day's tasks. God empowers us for the day's tasks. It says this in 11.1. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us, and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition I will make a treaty with you, that I gouge out all your right eyes, and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days respite that we may send messengers throughout all the territory of Israel. Then if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. So basically what happens here is there's this, this little town in Israel who's being besieged by the Ammonites, and they don't see any hope, and they try to make this treaty with the Ammonites, and the Ammonites say, yeah, sure, we'll make this treaty with you. You just have to gouge out one of your eyes. And they said this because you can't fight if you only have one eye. Right? You don't have this good depth perception. You're not going to really be able to ever fight. So this means that they will eternally pretty much be servants to the Ammonites if they make this treaty. But they, they get the Ammonites to agree to let them send messengers throughout the land of Israel to try to get some help. And the Ammonites agree because they think that, wow, we can probably win without ever fighting. So that's why they agree and they're all in. But they forget that Saul is king and that for the moment... Saul is a good king, and this is actually the highlight of Saul's kingship. Let's continue in verse 5. Now, behold, Saul was coming from the field behind oxen, and Saul said, What is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he had heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. When he mustered them to Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, Tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will, have, tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And the next day, Saul put the people in three companies, and they had come into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites till the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered so that no two men were left together. What we see here is that Saul steps up. Saul is, is the king that they were looking for, the king that Israel was asking for. He's this leader who, who is seeking the Lord, who is who's going out in battle courageously, He's being this awesome leader in these verses. And like I said, this is the highlight of Saul. He's, he's, not just, he's no longer this timid guy hiding from his responsibilities, not knowing really what to do, but he's trusting in the Lord. And what we also see here is that he's compassionate, right? He goes up to these people and he's like, what's wrong? Why are you crying? And he cares about what is going on with the people that he's ruling over. He's a compassionate man here. And once he shows some compassion, and here's what kind of is going on in his kingdom, he's ready to do something. But verse 6 says that the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul. 
You see, the reason he's acting like a good leader here, the reason he's acting like the leader that Israel always wanted was because God is empowering him to do it. Was because he's seeking the Lord and the Lord is empowering him to be the leader that he has called him to be. He's moving in the midst of all the tragedy. God is, is working in the hearts of all these scared people in this town. He's working in these people who are desperate for hope, who don't know what's going to happen next. And Saul is the guy who does it because he's relying on the Holy Spirit. And God is still working in us today. The Holy Spirit comes on Saul here and, and fills him and strengthens him. And we see that Saul is growing in his relationship and that is actually what is making him this good leader in these verses. But the Holy Spirit is working in our lives too. Back in Saul's day, the Holy Spirit came on select people for a select period of time, right? He, he, the Holy Spirit came on them and empowered them to do something and then oftentimes left that person, right? Because Jesus hadn't yet died on the cross. But we know that today, the Holy Spirit is in every single one of us who's put our faith in Christ, and the Holy Spirit will never leave us when we put, have put our faith in Christ, right? So when we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he lived a perfect life, that he is fully God and fully man, and he came to this earth and he died on the cross, taking the punishment for our sins, everything that we have done that deserves us to be separated from God for all of eternity, Jesus took all of that sin and died on the cross, paying the price for it. And he defeated it by raising from the dead. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are forgiven, we are saved. And the moment we do that, the Holy Spirit enters us like he did Saul. But the difference is the Holy Spirit leaves Saul. He will never leave us. And that means that the power that is working through Saul, helping him to be this leader who God is calling him to do, that power is in each and every one of us today because the Holy Spirit is in us. And it's not because you're so awesome. It's because our God is so good. Think about this. Prior to God filling Saul, he looked like the Rock Johnson, but he was actually more like a snowman at the end of winter who's about to be like wiped away by the sun. Right? He, he looked great, but he was weak. He was lacking. He was not emotionally, mentally, or spiritually strong. He was relying fully on himself, himself, but as soon as he puts that faith in God, as soon as the Holy Spirit empowers him, he's totally different. And I'm sure some of us have felt this way before, right? When we're kind of relying on ourselves like Saul was doing, we, we, we put on a smile to get through our day. I'm so happy. It's great. When we really don't feel like that at all. Or we just keep pressing forward through our week, even though we are exhausted and tired and don't know how we're going to make it through tomorrow. Or we feel like we just can't handle anymore, right? It's summer, it's the beginning of summer, and we don't have a single weekend free until September, right? And you're trying to make it an awesome summer for your kids, but it's just so booked. You're like, man, I can't take much more. I am already running on fumes. Sometimes that's how we feel. Saul was like this. He was insecure, not suited for leadership. But what changed in Saul's life? Verse 6 says, and the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul. You see, it wasn't anything that Saul did that changed the situation. It was everything that God did in Saul's life to change where he was. He started running 
by the power of God rather than on his own strength. And this is what makes lasting good character. This is what makes us grow in our faith. When we are disciplined to follow the Lord, commit to following him, and then let him work in our lives, empowering us. It takes us accepting that we are not God, we can't be God, and that we need God in our lives. And by God's grace, he's always with us. We just have to accept this and acknowledge who he is. So we have this same Holy Spirit in us that Saul had in him. And because of that, we don't have to accept the relationship that we have with God right now as the best that it can ever be, right? Because it can keep growing stronger. Even if we feel like we're barely making it in life, God can still work in us and grow us and we can recenter our lives on Christ and continue to grow, right? And this doesn't mean that life is gonna be easy, right? Running, running through life with the Holy Spirit empowering us doesn't make life easy. It really doesn't, right? Even Saul had it pretty hard after the Holy Spirit empowers him, right? Because God leads him into war, He's going into this war after the Holy Spirit empowers him. He's not like, yay, God's with us. Let's go get some chicken wings. No, he's like, God is with us. This is going to be hard. I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know that God is with us and he's going to pull us through. If we want to have good character in a growing walk with God, it takes having a spirit-led life. Laying down our will for his realizing that it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight, but it takes us pursuing the Lord a little bit more each day, trusting him a little bit more each day, putting a little bit more faith in God each day, recognizing that sometimes it's going to look like God is leading us directly into the valley of the shadow of death, but that he's always with us. And we know that's true, and he's promised that. So if God led Saul to war, he's not leading us to a beach. He's leading us He's calling us to something that is way more fulfilling, way more life-giving. And if we want to have a spirit-led life, then we need to prioritize that time with God, right? It's the busyness of summer. I get it. We, seem, we all feel like we have so many things to do. The weather is nice. We're doing yard work, all this stuff. But if we let our relationship with God slide when we're on vacation or wherever it is, if we don't prioritize time in his word and, and praying to him, then we will slowly slide in our faith. If we don't value the relationships that God has called us to, to model our Christian faith in well, as a husband, as a wife, father, mother, daughter, son, whatever it is, if we let those slide, that's not a good thing. We're probably running on our own power rather than on the Holy Spirit in us. And it also is us serving God wherever we are. Right? I think some of us, sometimes we might look at retirement and think that's not too far away. I'm so excited for the easier life. But God doesn't call us to ever stop serving him. He doesn't call us to ever be satisfied with where we are today in our walk with him. But he calls us to something deeper and better. And that takes work. It takes discipline in our lives to commit to him. As we continue reading in this section, we're going to see that the lasting character gives God the glory. Lasting character gives God the glory. When we seek to give God the glory in our lives, that is evidence of a growing relationship with God. It says this in verse 12. Then the people said to Samuel, who is it that said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. 
But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go up to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So these people love Saul. They're like, Saul's the best. Look at what he did. And they love him so much that they actually want to kill anyone who was against him. Right? They, they're like, you know, there were people whenever they first announced you as king that didn't want you as king. Can we go kill them? It sounds totally bizarre and crazy. In that day and age, it made a little bit more sense because the fear of a revolution or rebellion was a little bit greater, right? So those people could just rebel against them and try to take his own life. But Saul gives grace here. He's like, yeah, there, are, there were people, maybe they still are, who don't like the direction that I'm leading this nation of Israel. There were some of those. But let them live. That, give them grace. It's okay. That sounds like someone who's pretty secure with God. That sounds like someone who's pretty confident that if God called him to be the king in Israel, and if God is still working through him, and if God is not done with, with using him to serve God, then God's definitely going to protect him. God is definitely still in control with where he is today, even though it looks a little gray at times. Wouldn't it be kind of awesome to have this type of confidence in our lives? Right? Someone makes a comment about us, and we just brush it off like, I know, I know how God's, what God says about me. Or we have this setback, and it just kind of would leave us crippled or really just kind of so anxious, and all of a sudden we're like, it's okay, right? God is the one who opened this door. And he's going to open up another door, right? Wouldn't it be so awesome to have this type of godly confidence? We can actually have this type of confidence in our lives when we keep God at the forefront of our hearts and our minds. And remember that nothing is going to overcome him. Nothing will overcome our God. doesn't mean it's going to look the way we think it will or should, but that he is still God. And what really reveals Saul's heart in these last couple of verses that we read was the end of verse 13 where it says, For today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. The Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Saul didn't say, look at me. Look at what I've done. I've done all of this stuff. Right? We, we went out, out in a battle. I was this great unifier. Everyone followed me and we won. Look at how great I am as king. He didn't do that at all. Instead he goes and he says, Look at what God has done for us today. Look at what the Lord has done. And he gives God all of the credit for everything that was done in that battle. And sometimes this type of giving credit to God can be hard for us, right? But what really, what Saul demonstrates here is humility. He takes no credit for what has been done. But I think oftentimes we like getting credit for things, right? We do something for someone and we appreciate it when we get noticed for what we've done, Right? And, and the Bible calls us to encourage one another. That's a great thing. That's a good thing. But sometimes we feel like we're owed it. Sometimes we might be more driven by the desire for recognition from people than the desire to actually just please Christ. Sometimes we, we feel like we deserve to be noticed for what we're doing. Or, or we might even feel like we kind of want to just take the credit of what someone else did. And it is actually very surprising that Saul gives God the glory in these verses. And actually, I think that this is the absolute highlight of Saul being king in Israel, giving God the glory. Because most, most of the previous rulers in Israel, the judges, many of them 
or taking credit for themselves. But here Saul gives all of that credit to the Lord. And in a way, this kind of is it's kind of like plagiarism, right? Plagiarism is the idea of, of taking someone else's work and claiming it as your own. But I think we plagiarize God a lot. And when we do this, I think we do it in places like we might, we might get a promotion at work and we think that, man, I've just worked so hard for this. I've earned this. Or I deserve to go on this really nice vacation and, and buy this really nice house because I've been so wise in my savings, a good steward of my money, right? Good things, not always bad things. But sometimes in situations like that, we, we might forget that God is the one who gave us the job. God is the one who helped us who blessed our finances. God is the one who's actually working behind all of that. And that any good thing we have, every good thing we have actually came from God. But so often we look at it and think, wow, look what I did. Do we give God the glory for the good in our lives? Or do we believe that we've earned it? Because when we believe that we've earned it, we're now elevating ourselves to a place that only God really can be and should be. But celebrating God is so key. When we divorce celebrations, successes, and joys from, from God, we make everything about us. We forget what God is doing in our lives. And we actually are, are risk being like Humpty Dumpty and, and falling off the wall. But Saul is thriving in these verses. He's on track to have this good, godly character that will lead to a deeper relationship with Christ. And he does this for, by doing a couple different things, right? Because Saul gives God the credit for his successes. That's one of the things he does, right? Do we give God the credit for our successes? Do we, do we see him as actually provider and sustainer in our lives? Do we live a spirit-led life? A life where we are relying on the Holy Spirit, where we are, are trusting and, and relying on him to provide, right? We, we might not see it all, how it's going to work out on paper, but we're trusting that God is going to provide for us. Do we have the spirit-led life? Are we willing to stand? Saul was willing to stand and go to war. And it wasn't fun. It wasn't easy. It wasn't pretty. But he did it because he was pursuing God so much. And he knew, I am king to serve God, not people. I am king to serve God first and foremost. Saul was doing that in this text. Are we willing to stand in our faith? Do we know what our faith says? Are we spending enough time seeking God, developing a deeper, life-changing relationship with our Lord? Because the more time we spend with him, the more hope we have, the more we're just blown away by God's love and his grace and his goodness, and it is life-changing. Saul is good when he's devoted to God. Be devoted to God. If we neglect this, we will slide in our faith. And as we pick it up next time, looking at the bad Saul and then the ugly Saul, we will see that right after this, Saul begins his decline because he starts sliding in his faith. He starts trusting in himself just a little bit more. Instead of being sold out for God, saying, God is going to do all this, he's like, well, maybe I can do some of this. The lesson that we can learn in a positive way from Saul is what we see here. When we are devoted to God, when we're developing a deeper relationship with him, that is what leads to good, lasting character for Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love. 
for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you so much that you give us your word full of of characters who give positive illustrations of of how we should live our lives and also negative ones. And sometimes people in the Bible who do some of both. But we thank you that every word in your word is true. And we thank you that we have the Holy Spirit in us, empowering us to go through our days, to get through them, sure, but to thrive in them for you. To, To share the gospel for you. Because you are the way, the truth, and the life. And that you give us lasting hope, lasting peace, and an eternity with you. Thank you for for all of that, Lord. And I pray that you would just renew our hearts, renew our perspective on that, and give us encouragement and, and joy as we go through our days trying to honor you with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.